David, thanks so much for joining me today to talk about um, what was going to be a big development in Maryland Heights, and I want to get to that in a second. But first of all, remind me the name of the organization you work for. I'm executive director of Great Rivers Habitat Alliance. And what do you guys do, basically? We're a floodplain conservation organization. We focus on preserving the floodplain and wetlands for agriculture, recreation, uh, other t- natural uses, and flood storage. And the confluence that we focus on is pretty much the Mississippi, Missouri, and Illinois River area, defined, defined somewhat broadly to the larger St. Louis region. Basically what we see on the flag of the city of St. Louis, that confluence right there. Exactly. Nice. Um, so you know a thing or two about flooding and floodplains. And uh, I recall last year uh, we had some pretty bad flooding in this area, right? Like when the rains came through, was it last spring? I mean, this was 2019 was one of the worst floods the St. Louis region has, has ever seen. And in, in 1993, we, yeah, got, I hear the, about that one we got the worst flood we'd ever seen, at least in the modern history of the last few hundred years. Mm-hmm. And everybody, of course, heard, you know, it's the, the 500-year flood or the 400-year mm. flood. Uh, we, won't, we won't see this again until 2393 <laughs> or something. Well, sure enough, it came, it came in 2019. And... Between, between the two years, there were plenty of other 100-year floods. I mean, the fact is... What, why are we getting them frequently now instead of the way we used to get them? Well, we're getting them for, for three principal reasons, and I'm not trying to put this into a thing of threes. It really just fits that way. We've done way too much floodplain development in, well, in much of the country, but specifically in the St. Louis region. So a floodplain what, being like... The land between the river and a, a bluff where the land right. goes up. Right. The land where the water is supposed to go, okay. according to Mother Nature, is now paved over for shopping malls. Got it. Okay, so that's way more. too many places. There's far too many levees up and down our major rivers constricting the river. When you build that levee and constrict the river, the river moves faster. When it mm-hmm. moves faster, it moves higher. When it moves faster and higher, it does more damage and floods It more. floods, yeah. So there's <clears throat> way too many levees, way too much floodplain development. And then the third part of it is absolutely climate change, where increased precipitation, sure. whether man-made or natural, almost assuredly both. Certainly sure. man has got a role in this. But we have more precipitation now. So when you combine more precipitation with less places with the water to go and water moving higher and faster – Whammo, giant floods every other year. And the, the science <laughs> the science behind this, between too much floodplain development, too, too many levees, we've got many references to it at Great Rivers Habitat Alliance. It's not disputable. It's not yeah. in debate in the scientific community. The term that they use so often is man-made floods. And one of the things that... Oh, like man... Many of these floods are man-made floods. Got it. We've done... Our own actions are causing these floods. And one of the things that we do to cause these floods is over the last 30 to 40 years, we've made developing the floodplain much easier because of tax subsidies. You know, before okay. before tax and grant financing and so many other types of subsidies, the developers took on the risk, which is very sure. risky to build in the floodplain. Yeah, but you now, build a shopping center, it floods, you're in trouble. You're in a lot of trouble. But now if you can put half or, you know, yeah. the number... The exact number will change, but if you can put half that risk on the taxpayers, that makes it a lot easier to develop in the floodplain. Why do you think people want to develop in a floodplain? Do they like to look at the water? Does it? I think why. What's attractive? About, I, I'm looking around uh, the St. Louis metro region. There are there is empty space to develop. 
why down by the rivers where you know there's a risk of flooding? Because it's flat. Oh. Because it's not generally built upon. So you're not you're not destroying a bunch of again, it didn't used to be easy to build in the floodplain before the tax subsidies. Sure. So while you had certainly large cities, St. Louis had lots of building in the Mississippi River floodplain and, mm-hmm. and levees were built to do that and people moved back as when they could. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, you had less of it. So when you know, once the subsidies started expanding rapidly in the nineteen eighties, TIF and many others, uh, developers were looking at it was, they saw this floodplain. It was flat. It was not built on. It was cheap. It was comparatively cheap. Yeah. And it seemed like a great a great target. And combined with, this is where the fragmentation of our government in the St. Louis region comes into That's play. That's what I was wondering about. Oh, it plays a huge part of it. Because if you're looking at the county as a whole, you could say, okay, this isn't, the, this isn't the best place to develop. Let's develop over where it's not going to get flooded. But if you're looking at little municipalities that are in the floodplain, they're like, well, what are we going to do? This is all we have. Precisely. That's yeah. a humongous part of it. The tremendous fragmentation we've we have combined with the innumerable subsidy options that all right. those cities now have that they didn't always have. You go back to the sixties or seventies, they didn't have all these tax subsidy sure. options. There might have been a few but tax abatements and the, the type that were done with urban renewal and things. Yeah. But now we have countless, countless options to the municipalities and they use them because so many of the city managers are going to get raises and promotions sure. based on economic development in the city. Part-time city council members are going to get go Generate to their community revenue. and say, yeah. I'm doing great. We look at all this building. They can't resist. This is what you had in Maryland Heights. They cannot resist the siren song of looking at farmland and vision they don't see farmland and say this is beautiful they look at farmland and say that should be a shopping mall or that should be an entertainment megaplex or the latest distributions distribution centers are now all the rage now sure for amazon and all whatnot yeah so i want to get to maryland heights in a second but just so that i'm clear and the people who are listening to this are clear so what happens is i buy a piece of land and it's worth a hundred dollars i put a shopping center on it and it becomes worth a thousand dollars but for 20 plus years, I get to pay property taxes on the $100 value before I put anything on it, right? I don't pay any property tax on the new value. I pay on the old value, and the government picks up the difference. So it's a slight slight distinction. In, in big terms, yeah. that's. But what it, how it works is the developer would, if they get a TIF, if it works for tax and refinancing, if you paid before the development, you paid $100, and after the development, you owed $1,000, you still pay the $900. But now the $900 gets moved into cost for the use in the development. Okay. So the developer can, can take the money they would have sent to the government, <clears throat> and now they can put it towards allowable costs, uh, which are t- oftentimes, which are generally referred to as infrastructure costs. And that sounds great, except in many cases, these infrastructure costs were things that, until a few decades ago, developers always just paid themselves. Landscaping the parking lot. Exactly. Exactly. It's not always infrastructure for everybody. Oftentimes, it's infrastructure for for the development, like landscaping the parking lot. Absolutely. And in many cases, they would throw... They throw levees out. In Chesterfield, they paid for their revised levees after the flood of 93 I've with the tip. Mm-hmm. But there's no care or concern as to who they harm with those new le- with those new levees. And that's what would have happened here in Maryland Heights. That The new pumping stations and new internal levees they would have built to address, and I'm doing air quotes, 
here that you can't see to address I the flooding them. issues. Mm-hmm. You can see them. The listeners can't. <laughs> that would have hurt somebody else, but they don't, they don't care. I mean, I'm no scientist, but I do remember that matter can be neither created nor destroyed. So the water doesn't go away. The water just goes somewhere else, right? Like if there's excess water, it has to go somewhere. So if you can pump it out of your municipality, that just sends it somewhere else, right? Absolutely. And, you know, you get at some level developers, they build retention ponds because they can they can hold that water on site. And then if you can hold it long enough, then evaporation sure. does come into play where that water becomes, it doesn't go away, but it does become gas and goes yeah. back into the air and then <clears throat> yeah. gets into a cloud and, and rains elsewhere. So that can address part of that. But what we've seen in our region, and this is where this is where facts are going to trump paid engineer promises, mm-hmm. that they don't hold all the water. Right. It doesn't it doesn't work. You know, you build in the floodplain, you pave it over, uh, you raise the water height in that community, which they're allowed to do. And and all your promises and claims that you're not going to hurt anybody. Well, it's failed because sure. FEMA just redid all of the flood, all the floodplain levels in the greater St. Louis region. They've done this around the country. And for all the promises by cities and developers that they're not raising the water height more than a tiny bit, tiny bit here, a tiny bit there, the fact is that FEMA said the 100-year and 500-year floodplains are much higher than they used to be because of all this development. And scientists I know, like Bob Chris at Washington University, say, and I believe him, that those FEMA numbers, even increased, are still lower than they should be. And just to make sure that uh, we're not just doing what everyone else is doing, we did get a shout-out in the Washington Post, right, for being especially bad actors in this area. There's a, a professor, <coughs> Nic- Nicholas Pinter, who used to be at Southern Illinois University, now out at the University of California, who's written extensively, because he used to be in this region, and he covers this area very well. He absolutely cites St. Louis as one of the worst regions for just constant floodplain development. So let's get to the specific thing that came up recently. Maryland Heights is a small community. It's on the Missouri River, right? It's not, it's not that small. It's one of the. It's probably one of the 10 larger, largest municipalities in St. Louis County by area and population. So if someone's, Still small comparatively. But if someone's never been to St. Louis, I would say it's, it's on the river. Absolutely. And it's a it's a part of St. Louis County, and uh, it has some development, but they had a large floodplain area that they were interested in opening up to development, even though it's in a floodplain, correct? Exactly. It's an area of roughly four to 5,000 acres, and you know they, they didn't necessarily, weren't going to include every bit of it in and it. And it's but farmland right now. Right now, it's a lot of farmland, also some low-intensity commercial uses like nurseries. Okay. Uh, there's, a, there's an airport out there. Which and that wasn't necessarily going to be in the TIF area, but it would have been greatly affected by development. There's a lot of sport fields out there mm. right now, which another low intensity floodplain use. So good use a few golf courses and golf mm-hmm. facilities, things that are appropriate for Makes that region. Sense. But okay. with the fragmentation <clears throat> and with the constant quest for sales tax dollars, I mean every the people who own that land want it to be sold for commercial property and get a get an enormous profit. Sure. And the city officials want to say. They want. They see sales tax Bring and property tax dollars. Bring it on. Okay, so what did they want to do? They wanted to uh, give out tax increment financing to who? They wanted to, about four years ago, if I can backtrack Please. just a bit, Susan, uh, Stan Kroenke, yes, that Stan Kroenke, mm. came to Maryland Heights only a Him. matter of weeks after he'd moved the Rams from mm-hmm. St. Louis to L.A. I remember and, that. And proposed <laughs> a major development in here using tax subsidies. And Maryland Heights, instead of... Telling him, 
did not let the door hit him on his way out, <laughs> yeah. actually was receptive to it, which huh. was just step one that, of that insanity. That feel good for him. <laughs> right. So they were receptive. And then there was two things. There was some, uh, some community opposition. We obviously helped lead some opposition to sure. it. But also they did a little work on this. And, you know, three times in the past five years, including right when this was being proposed, like right at that exact period, that entire, that almost that entire area has been underwater due to flooding. There was the New Year's flood of 2015-16. There was the spring floods of 2017, and then the floods of this year. Sure. So it's been underwater. So, so Maryland Heights realized that they can't, they couldn't develop the area without addressing the flooding situation there first. So then they launched an effort over the past few years to come up with a plan to do that. Now, they didn't, for all their occasional comments, that they were just trying to help the local landowners by addressing the flooding, which is an understandable desire. Well, would, how would you even do that? Well, they, <clears throat> you could do that by doing some of this type of pumping and some other. There is ways that you can address the, the local issues for the local landowners gotcha. without the obvious next step of then paving all of it over <laughs> yeah. and then making the problem worse for everybody else. And that's what they always wanted to do this and they admitted to that i'll give maryland heights points for honesty there (laughs) that this was a stepping stone to a giant commercial residential industrial development area so so they they launched this effort and they realized that it's costing going to cost an enormous amount of money to address this serious flooding issue and of course their solution is all about just moving it elsewhere they don't they they just want to take the water and move it somewhere else where would it have gone where would it go if they still do this? Well, you would need a hydrologist to determine the exact plan that they proposed, and they didn't have anything so precise. But it would go, if you built, Down if you tightened Missouri it up River. further, it would back up. Okay. It would back up along the river. It would also, if you just pumped out in a flood, if you just pumped it into the Missouri River, it would go across onto St. Charles. And St. Charles City and County were extremely concerned about the flooding sure. they would see. And then oftentimes with levees and development, you get sort of a, an hourglass effect where it tightens up right there and then shoots through fast. So it could hurt everybody. We had people from West Alton showing up at these meetings. Which is to across this. the river in Illinois. For, in St. Charles County. Oh, okay. Further, further down from the river. Saying so north they, and south are like, no. West Alton is a is a interestingly named community because it's really south of Alton. Illinois. Okay. Yep. But they call it West Alton. You would look at a map and see south. Uh-huh. But so we're... There were a lot of the plan was to take this tax increment fin- financing money and other subsidies and raise 151 million dollars to then use that for pumps and flooding levees and other things to address flooding. And then five to ten years down the line, they were going to begin the commercial development of the region, which very well might have involved its own subsequent subsidies. Yeah, uh, but might not have. Who knows? But thankfully. Uh, the TIF Commission, which we can get into here, Please do. shot this down on Friday night. That was absolutely fantastic. And do you think they did it for economic reasons or environmental reasons or both? Or did they you know, realize the pushback they're going to get from all these other communities that would be hurt but when they gained? I would, I would think it was all of the above. Okay. I, I really do. I love uh, to see good government. It's a nice, refreshing, you know, that's great. It is great. It's great to see. We about, about a decade ago. The laws were changed to give St. Louis County a larger voice on the St. Louis County TIF Commission. Okay. TIF commissions are 
revised based on where the TIF proposal comes from. Because right. the taxing districts that serve that exact area get a set number of appointees on the commission. All right. And so they changed the law affecting St. Charles, St. Louis, and Jefferson County to give the counties a much greater voice on the TIF commission. So what you had then for several years was the county rejecting TIF applications, but they never changed the part of the law saying that if a TIF commission turns something down, the cities can just override the TIF commission. <laughs> so you had, you had this absurd scene, and this is where my past work at Show Me Institute and Patrick Tuohy and others' work at Show Me Institute mm -hmm. comes into play. Because we would help citizens oppose TIFs in Shrewsbury and Ellisville and elsewhere, just to give two well-known St. Louis examples. Mm -hmm. And the County TIF Commission, under the Dooley administration at the time, would reject the tax increment financing, saying, we don't need tax subsidies for Walmart, because mm -hmm. in both of those cases, it was going to be a Walmart. We don't need, Walmart doesn't need Poor Walmart. school district and fire <laughs> district and county and city tax subsidies. If the developers want to put in a Walmart and other stores, they can put do it, it in. and succeed. Yeah. But in both the cases, Ellisville and Shrewsbury just overrode the county TIF commission. So you had these cities of five or 6,000 people overriding a county TIF commission representing 1.3 million people. Why do I say 1.3 million? Because... You know, some of these taxing districts represent the city and the county, mm. the Zoo Museum District. So the County TIF Commission sure. was representing the city, too, the city of St. Louis, too. Well, so it's just an absurd scene that these right. tiny cities were overriding. But they wanted the sales tax from the Walmart. They want the sales tax from the Walmart. And okay. we've cited uh, Chomi Institute and my continued work at Great Rivers Habitat Alliance. There's innumerable examples of just abject absurdity. There was the one case in North County where a Walmart was on... It was an existing Walmart, successful. It happened to be on the border of two cities, so they split the sales tax dollars between two cities. Well, then one city gave Walmart a giant subsidy to move a block or two so they would get all the sales tax dollars, even though with the TIF and all, they weren't even getting – they reduced the total number of sales sure. taxes, but because this city was now getting all of it instead of part of it, they came out ahead. But the total – the total tax base went down dramatically for that community. So that's the absurdity we see. So in order to address that, they changed the law at the state level about four years ago. Okay. So now, and I worked on this bill when I was at Chomi Institute and when I was at Great Rivers Habitat Alliance. Steve Ailman, the county executive of St. Charles County, was a real leader for this bill and others. So now, if the county TIF commission rejects a TIF, and a city overrides it, as mm -hmm. Maryland Heights may yet do, okay. they're very limited in how they can raise and spend that tax and financing money now. They can only spend it on demolishing land, I'm sorry, demolishing buildings, mm -hmm. of which there are very few in this region. Sounds like it. And grading land, meaning taking the land and putting it to a basic, basic grade. Um, so that means they'll have to pay for the pumps themselves. Like they'll have to pay for the pumps and the levies, and all the other flood things themselves. They can't count on the TIF to do it. And I would hope, and I think, that they're just not going to be able to raise the money to do it with these subsidies. So I would hope they would step back and say, here's a crazy idea. Maybe we should keep this area as floodplain, attempt to address the local landowner concerns in some way, and not pave it all over and not give a damn as to who we flood out next. So there's several things going on here. Number one, the way it was going to be financed, which uh, you're absolutely right. The show me institute, we are solidly on the record 
um, against giving away tax dollars to developers who don't need them and who would build anyway. But secondly is the environmental issue of the simply the notion that we can somehow outdo Mother Nature and somehow build in a place that's designed uh, environmentally to flood and make it not flood. That to me is crazy. And so which one of those ways that wins out for you or are they equal? Well, I think they're they're both they're both very valid. One of the things I always but it's say it's a win win on both counts in this it is, case, right? It absolutely. They voted against it. Well, that's what it is. I say this a lot. I give a lot of talks. I gave talks when I was here at Show Me. I still give talks to sure. Great Rivers. And I always say one of the really fun parts of my current <clears throat> job at Great Rivers Habitat Alliance is when you look at floodplain development, which is almost always done with tax subsidies. Not in every single case, but in almost every case. You can look at it, and there's all sorts of legitimate reasons to oppose this. Sure. Fis- fiscal discipline, you don't want the tax base to go down, uh, thinking regionally as opposed to the uh, Chesterfield versus Maryland Heights yeah. versus St. Charles City, over and all these cities in it for themselves. Regionalism, fiscal discipline, and, of course, envir- environmental concerns that we should not be paving over the places that water is supposed to go, where it can safely and securely go. Because when you when you move it, you're going to raise it, and you're going to send it somewhere for somebody who's not expecting it. That's right. When you raise it, you're going to, it's going to go somewhere who doesn't perhaps know they're in a floodplain. And that puts lives at risk. These, fl- these floods, Plus, people die people in these die floods. People die in floods, yeah. So not, it's not just about property damage, although the property damage and inevitable taxpayer bailout of that of insurance, is yeah. enormous. Sure. But the lives are at risk when you well, everything we've done to increase this flooding has has killed people. Yeah. And it's, that's the most important thing. So you've got flood safety, environmental concerns, fiscal discipline, regional things. Think any way you want. They're all perfectly valid. Sure. And in this case, they voted against it, which is a good thing. And I wonder, do you think that this could be like a precursor to seeing TIF as not fiscally responsible governance? Or is this just... Because of all those other considerations that you just mentioned, I don't. I certainly hope so. I do too. I don't. It'd be great. I don't. I think so. Again, in Jefferson, St. Louis, and St. Charles County, you know, now that the the county TIF commissions have teeth, meaning if the city overrides it, the the there's limits on what they can do. Yeah. I very much hope that you'll see few fewer TIFs, fewer it's, use of tax increment financing, perhaps smaller, better. Better TIF, and I, when I say better, mm-hmm. I don't. I mean that there might be some truly blighted areas yeah. that deserve, need, and deserve some type of subsidy, but, but I think we should use it radically less than we do. But we just got more addicted targeted. to it, right? And we were using Absolutely. it all over the place, and we're, we're a state that's addicted to it compared to other states, and it's just sort of our go-to: either create a special taxing district or give tax increment financing in order to encourage development. Yet I'm sure that mo- much of that development, I don't know about most, but much would have happened anyway. And if it wasn't going to happen, it wasn't a good idea, right? You're right on everything you said. And people you. should realize <laughs> people should I realize that. that these numbers are true. When you say Missouri does this a little more, all states do it. Sure. With, there's probably a few exceptions of places that do it very infrequently. But Missouri does do it more than many other states. <clears throat> the combination of TDD and CID and NID, Neighborhood Improvement District, Community Improvement District, plus TIF, plus property tax abatement, plus Chapter 100 bonds, plus Chapter 353 bonds. They're all so they're used so dramatically that Missouri does use, do this more than many other states. On a, Why do you think percentage. that is? Why? 
because we made it easy to be done with so many, yeah. with so little state and county oversight yeah. and so many small cities taking advantage of this. Absolutely. It's, it's because we've always had a lot of counties. We've always had a lot of cities. We've always had a lot of special taxing districts. That's not new. You go back to the, you, every 10 years, the census department does a census of governments mm -hmm. and it's a fascinating document. Mm -hmm. We've always had more small governments, special taxing districts in other states mm. on a per capita basis. And then back again about 30 to 40 years ago when we increased the options for subsidies, nobody should be surprised that all these small governments started using those subsidies. Sure. I mean, theoretically, you're supposed to find an area that's so blighted that no reasonable developer would go in and build a store or a residential development because of the blight, and then they get a break. But as we have talked about, I've talked to Patrick Tui on this podcast about the governor's mansion, I think, qualifies. Like, the, the blight definition is so weak that it can be applied to almost any area, any building. Absolutely. And people have been noting that for years. It's it's not changed. They've tried to tighten it up here or there a little bit. So let's look at the converse to see how absurd it is. When the Santine Corporation, about a decade ago, tried to do a using tax subsidies to do a redevelopment in Clayton, they used they tried to take some properties by eminent domain. And this is at the corner of Forsyth and Hanley, that general corner in downtown, in downtown Clayton. One of the more thriving areas in the St. Louis County well, in metro the, area. In the state, obviously. In the I, state, yeah. No, that's a key point. So unfortunately for the economic development, the, some of the landowners they tried to take via eminent domain both didn't want to sell sure. and had the resources to oppose it. Not everybody always has the resources to oppose this, But in, unfortunately. in that intersection. In this case, they did. Yes. So it led to a, a lawsuit mm -hmm. about the eminent domain and the use of the blight designation for the tax subsidies there. And and the Supreme Court came back and said that the blight the blight designation did not apply in this case. It was really so wow. that's but that's how crazy you had to go to. In order for the blight designation to not apply, you go to it Court. had to be on one of the richest corners. Sure. And this is Clayton, Missouri, in one of the richest cities in the wealthiest county, St. Louis County, of the entire state of Missouri. Yep. Richest Wealthiest corner, wealthiest city, wealthiest county of the entire state. And that they, they tried blight. You could not blight. <laughs> yeah. That was too far. Yeah. Anything short of downtown downtown Clayton in St. Louis yeah. County at the nice part of downtown Clayton. Yeah. Uh, it's all nice, but one of the nicer parts of it. Everything else is on the table. Everything though. else is game to blight yeah. away. West County Mall in De Pere. Yeah. Uh, there are plenty of ludicrous examples in Kansas City yeah. that are, of things declared blighted that aren't in the slightest bit blighted in any way. Ellisville, when yeah. they blighted that. There's these urban planners who make their living. Uh the, the, many of these urban planners, there's only a couple urban planning companies that do this, mm -hmm. and they do all of them, these few plays. They do all these TIFs. Yeah. And all they do to, in order to prove blight, I mean, it's a, it's a scam. Right. It really is. They go in and they, they'll get some bad picture. They'll find the part of the apartment building that's sitting there now that's got some dirt and rust on it. They'll take some something. ugly yeah, yeah, yeah. The mildew. Exactly. They'll take some bad pictures. Then they'll they'll find some traffic issues. They'll They'll find all these completely normal aspects of any life ever yeah. and make it out to be this awful situation everything's blighted and and then they get the blight designation and go f forward with it but now hopefully the tide is turning hopefully so. in jefferson county and st charles county and st louis county at least with the county tiff commissions having <laughs> teeth hopefully you're seeing them even if they approve some of them in st louis county like they did somewhat recently in university city yeah at least 
at least you can be confident that they're looking at everything really hard. Mm-hmm. And they used to. Look, under the Charlie Dooley administration, mm-hmm. they rejected multiple TIFs, mm-hmm. but they didn't have the teeth. And they did, Charlie mm-hmm. Dooley deserved credit for that, just as Sam Page, mm-hmm. County Executive now, deserves great credit for this. But they didn't have the teeth behind it in the Dooley administration yeah. to to uh, stop it. And that was, and he would have loved it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. This is, Charlie Dooley would have wanted that teeth to stop it more. And then, you know, the Stinger administration, we can't even, can't even guess. <laughs> well, um, Patrick Tui and I also did a podcast on Kansas City City Council decided, you know, maybe, maybe these tips are getting out of hand. Maybe we need to take a look at what we're doing and how we're doing it. And are we sure that we're getting uh, economic value out of these? And so they decided to hire a firm to review their tips and how they were being used. And multiple bids, you can listen to the podcast, um, they went with the highest bid and it was from one of the companies that actually does what you just said, determines blight and works with the developers. So they basically gave it to the Fox, gave the hen house over to the Fox to say, hey, how are we doing on using this program? And it was absurd. We called them out pretty hard. We are very vigilant on calling out these TIF projects that we think are um, giving tax dollars away. And I know you are, and you're not going to stop, and we're not going to stop. So, you know, I think that's the most important thing is that we stay on top of this, and we celebrate when a, when it goes the right way, in our opinion, right? And maybe we needed all these different factors to make that happen, uh, including flooding, which is something that people, because of 2019, it's very close to us. Like, we remember this very carefully. So um, I think that's, you know... Maybe it's a good sign, and we'll just have to keep talking about it. We do have to keep talking about it. There's a, you know, <clears throat> this organization, Show Me Institute, and my current organization, Great Rivers Habitat Alliance, have both been talking about these issues, both in our case in the floodplain, sure, and in Show Me Institutes, including when I was here, more generally, for decades now, and it started to have an effect. People who it. go to Jefferson City and get a, you listen to former Senator Jason Crowell. Mm-hmm. Or for or County Executive Steve Aylman in St. Charles, they'll admit that when they were in the state Senate, and these things were first proposed back in the '90s, that they didn't. They thought it sounded great. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah. Okay. Economic development. These are future taxes paid. Nothing current. Win win. And, and and Steve Aylman is. I'm quoting him now. He says he spent his whole life in St. Charles County government since he left Jefferson City trying to make up for those votes for the tip he authorized because <laughs> he didn't get it at the time and it sounded so harmless and good and senator crawl from cape Girardeau's the same way he's like he really he helped support under he didn't have all the full information there and it was a lot of newer stuff so they didn't sure. have all the economic but now analysis we do. i wrote a paper here when i was at show me institute on enterprise zones okay and anybody can google it i'm very proud of it one of my favorite parts of the paper was the literature review that went along with it was a general literature review of economic development subsidies. Great. And there are scores, and this is paper's six, seven years old now, now there's probably hundreds, of great peer-reviewed economic journal articles on the effectiveness of tax subsidies in growing an economy, growing a regional economy. This is the problem with fragmentation, because Chesterfield only cares about Chesterfield. But if we care about the region, the studies that the studies have two findings. Well, give us the spoilers. The spoilers is that there's only the st- all these studies that analyze economic development tools, they fall under two categories. Mm. The, the studies that find they have no impact whatsoever and studies that find out they have a mm-hmm. tiny impact and a tiny beneficial impact in almost no cases outweighed by the cost. I was going to say the return on the investment. The return, be- no, there's never yeah. a return on the investment. And a famous line I quoted 
and still quote from one of these studies I reviewed is that the, one of the authors who wrote a study that fell into the second category, meaning they said this has maybe Tiny. a small benefit, doesn't outweigh the cost, but a small benefit. But they wrote that, you know, in their experience, economic development officials around the country often claim 100% of the benefit to the tax subsidy. They've got no economic development officials invariably have a, are terrible at, at what's, What's behind, what's behind the what's behind the bush? And I'm probably sure. mixing my metaphor. <laughs> right. They see they a bird in the hand problem. Yeah, yeah. They see the bird in the hand. They see that their economic development subsidy led to a bird in the hand. They never see. They're incapable of seeing the two in the bush. Sure. Right there. That if they'd have just left things alone, development and change and economic growth would have happened. Especially, which gets down to the tax aspect. If you can give certain developers substantial cuts in their taxes why can't you give maybe not to that level but why can't you give everybody if your taxes sure. are too high cut them for everybody give it back yeah instead of giving in what you have in the city of st louis which i hope is finally slowly starting to turn so. where any developer who asks for it gets a, almost a massive tax abatement why don't you just give instead of giving all these developers a 50 percent tax abatement or a bigger why don't you give everybody in the city a 20 percent tax sure. cut i mean at get some rid point, of the earnings tax sure. at some point cut taxes for all and then let yeah. gr- let growth and and small business and mom and pop operations the type of natural growth we've seen in lafayette square and yeah. soulard and the central west end the type of economic growth and development by dedicated individual people investing in their community yeah. that's what leads to this turnaround and i'm I can see a few people saying, you know, there were tax credits at play in Soulard and Lafayette Square and elsewhere, and there were. And they, to some extent, again, in truly blighted areas as parts of Soulard used to be, go back a couple decades, you know, some of this is justified. But the sort of the home run, big tax subsidy, home run economic development, it never works for the region. It never does. And when you add in all the floodplain development that we've seen in Chesterfield, in St. Peter's City, St. Charles, it goes on and on. We can yeah, yeah, yeah. score up and down the Merrimack River. I mean, now it's now it's doing environmental damage and putting lives at risk on top of it. Um, what's your prognostication about whether Maryland Heights will go forward and pay for it themselves? Well, I don't, I, th- I don't have a prognostication because I honestly don't know. Okay, I think they'll try to figure out ways. There's still the vote was on. Uh, just a few yeah, days this ago. this is the first working day since, since exactly. the vote. So they're probably, over these next few weeks and months, going to figure out what they can do, mm-hmm. what they can do, because they still can spend, raise and spend some money from a TIF. They can override this vote Knock in a limited way. Knock down buildings or grade, grade dirt. Right. <laughs> okay. And build it flat. And what they do to try and get around this rejection will be very interesting. Obviously, Great Rivers Habitat Alliance and our allies will be paying extremely close attention. And if they, if they, if they try to go too far... In claiming they oh, yeah. can do things that they can't, Outside the obviously law. we'd be extremely vigilant in opposing that every way we can. Just as like with the Port of Lincoln proposal in Lincoln County and floodplain developments throughout the region, we're going to remain vigilant and all tools are, are on the table to, to stop these. Well, thank you for coming and explaining this to me. It was very enlightening. I appreciate it. It's always nice to talk to you. Well, it was a delight to be to be back here in this great building. Great talking with you and a lot of fun. Well, now you've seen the pod pit. So right, you're one of a select few. Not everyone gets to see the pod pit. So so people can check us out at grha.org. Great. And follow us on Facebook at the same name. And I'm always, you can always find me on Twitter at David C. Stokes.
Awesome. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Susan. Thank you for listening to the Show Me Institute podcast. Find more at showmeinstitute.org.